Welcome to the Grace Point Church Podcast. Here at GPC, we want you to know God, love people, and live sent. From wherever you're listening, we hope you're encouraged by this week's message. If you want to learn more about Grace Point, head over to gracepointchurch.net. And now, this week's message. We've been in a series of messages called The Jesus Calling. And we're literally looking at how Jesus calls us. Uh, and we need to answer and we need to take that call, not ignore that call, hopefully not miss that call. But there's another thing that we can do with that call is we can forward that call. And you can literally take your phone and you can forward from your iPhone. Sorry if you don't have one of those other phones out there, but, uh, the iPhone, I know you can forward, forward it. You can send it to voicemail and different things like that. But the forwarding feature is something that we've been doing for years, whether you have a landline and you forward that, that call on, or you get a message and you forward that message on. Well, we've been playing forwarding the message when we play telephone. How many of you all played telephone well, at least once in your life? Telephone, raise your hand. Come on. If you're older, you play this game. I know that. Uh, and that's when you sit in a circle and you get in a line and somebody says a statement at one end, and then we see how... At the end of the line, we see how accurate and non-diluted the message is by the time it gets to the end. And sometimes it's quite distorted and sometimes quite diluted. But in fact, in your small groups this week, when we were setting it up, uh, we give you an opportunity to play telephone uh, in your groups. I know you're really excited about it now. If you weren't going to go to a group this week, you are now just because of that. But the idea is that God gives us a message. He calls us in that message But that message isn't just for us. That message goes beyond us. And that we need to forward that message, get that message down the line and on out there. And take the call, yes, but also forward that message on. Paul says it like this. Obviously, he didn't have phones in that time. He says this, be an imitator of me as I am of Christ. So just reverse engineer that. Christ calls Paul. Paul says, as I am following Jesus then please follow me. So you just go right back up that line. So are we being imitators of Jesus? Enough so that people will want to imitate us. Or worse, are we imitations? A bad knockoff. A non-real, authentic imitation of Jesus. We're, we're fake. And I want to be an imitator and not an imitation. Uh, of him. And as we think about our lives, I think we need to be very warned. And I, I didn't know where to insert this into the Jesus Calling series. So I'm just going to force fit it into this today's because the series is going to come to an end next week. And just the realization is that not everybody who bears the name of God or Jesus actually is a follower of Jesus. I know that seems so judgmental, but I'm not judging anybody. I'm just simply saying that that's the reality based on scripture, based on life experience. There are times in my life that I have been a poor imitation of Jesus and not an imitator of Jesus. And so here's a couple of, uh, just to be aware of, just to be warned of, that there is this imposter uh, follower of God that's out there. Beware of the imposter these are three versions. If you want to jot them down, or just remember because you can probably identify them. Maybe Paul warns in uh, in First and Second Timothy three thirteen says, "While evil people and impostors will go on." So an imposter is that person who takes on the form of religiosity, takes on this holier than thou. They talk about righteousness, but it's, there's almost like self righteous individuals, and and right behind that is hypocrisy. 
And it's like they're imposters. That's not how God intended us to look and to be. And there's a self-righteousness. It's a legalism. It, it, it takes on a, a fake form of Christianity that, that Jesus warns sternly against. He said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, he says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes or the Pharisees, which, by the way, were the most religious people of that day, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. See, the imposter, they have an activity, but not an authenticity. They have an emphasis on religion, but not on a right relationship. And understanding that, 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 that brokenness of, of, of the imposter, you've got to be aware of it. An activity without authenticity, an emphasis on religion without relationship. They're about the do's and the don'ts, not about the being in a relationship with the Lord. There's another one. It's an, an identifier. The identifier is the person who is culturally or nominally or notionally is the phrases that are used to describe them, that if you ask them, are you Buddhist, Muslim, Hindu, or Christian, they're going to say, I'm Christian because I'm an American. And there's almost a, a Christian nationalism that even comes with that. That's like, well, I am this, so therefore I am that. And that is not at all what it means to be a Christ follower. That just because you identify with it, but you maybe don't back it up with your life, that is a problem. They emphasize label Christian versus a life of a Christian. And so you've got to understand that that's not what we're going for. In fact, Jesus said it like this in Matthew seven twenty one. He said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who goes to church and prays will enter the kingdom of heaven. Not everyone who sings the songs with the band singing will, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So again, Jesus himself, Matthew 5, Matthew 7, he's drawing a line in the sand and he himself is pointing out that there is a difference between those who truly, truly, truly are imitators of me versus the imitations, the imposters, those who identify D.L. Moody, 1800s, a shoe repairman, lived in Chicago, uneducated, has this incredible encounter with Jesus, moves him from this religious form of in identifying with Jesus to more of us absolutely sold out for following Jesus. And he said this, he says, if I know my own heart today, I would rather die than live as I once did. A mere nominal Christian and not used by God in building up his kingdom. It seems a poor, empty life to live for the sake of self. That, that, that could have been written today. And at times, it could have been written of my own life. That I'm an identifier, but I'm really not an imitator. Which is the, the third category, which is what we want to be. We want to be an imitator. God is calling us to be an imitator of him. Not imitation. Again, the nuances are fine and delicate there, but they are very real and the, the, the difference is hell and heaven. Eternity is ways in the balance. Again, you're going to have to identify where you are. Are you just an identifier? Are you an imposter? Are you actually an imitator of him? We've said in our definition of a disciple, it's a person who is becoming fully obedient, multiply, following Jesus. The past three weeks, we've looked at becoming. We've looked at fully obedient last week. And this week, I want to talk about the multiplier. Because whenever we understand the Jesus calling and, and, and where it's taking us, 
It's, it's good to know the envision. What is God's envision for my life? Think about it like this, is, is that in the first week, we studied how God chooses us. God chose me. God chose you. And then we moved to the next where God changes me. And we've really got to understand that, that becoming, how do I become a follower of Jesus? And then the changing of my life, the fully obedient, that's the handing over the reins of my life. But the next movement in this circle that's going to continue throughout life is that God uses me. And you can't get these out of order. Some people are about doing, 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 and they've yet to have the life-changing impact of entering into a relationship with Jesus. They're just doing, and they're trying to do themselves into a better life. They're trying to, to, to mark themselves as better off. But we got to remember that when God chooses us, that it's him who initiates it. It's him who, who, who has an intention about it. It is him who is calling us for an immediate response to his calling on our life. We talked about that week one. But he's moving us in that circle of life. He's moving us to a changed me, a new me, a revived me, a, 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 re, a, a new self. He uses being born again when he's telling Nicodemus. And it, what does it look like? It looks like an unrivaled love. I love him more than anything else, or I cannot be his disciple. Uh, it, it looks like a daily life of sacrifice and, and putting uh, hit unlimited sacrifice on the table. Where is God calling me to live differently, act differently, love differently, have emotions that are different? How is he changing me? And I'm dying every day to something in my life, an attitude, an action, a way of, a way of living, an unreserved surrender. Unless I'm willing to give up everything that I have, I cannot be his disciple. I mean, Jesus is drawing the line in the sand. I'm not, I'm just telling you, I'm just the messenger. I'm just passing on what he has said to those who were in his day. So when you understand that he's becoming fully obedient is the process that God is doing. And in that process, he's going to insert himself into our life. It's going to become this disruption, this interruption in our life. Now, I want to tell you that we're going to go from this series in two weeks and kick off a new series of messages. Now, hear this out. We're going to study the two most important words in all the Bible. And we're going to study those two most important words for the next five months. They think, wow, we're going to study through the book of Ephesians, and the two most important words in all of the Bible are but God but God. Whenever you think about that insertion, that interruption of his grace entering into my life, into my story, and we're going to go through the book of Ephesians. Now, if you look at the book of Ephesians, it's only six chapters. It's going to take us five months to go through six chapters. Yes, because that's the book of Ephesians. It's so dense. And in that book, again and again and again, we see our lives being interrupted, disrupted, changed, rearranged, focused in incredible ways because God inserts himself in our story. But God. James Montgomery Boyce pastored a church for 32 years right up until his passing in Pennsylvania, he said this, if you understand these two words but God, they will save your soul. If you recall them daily and live by them, 
they will transform your life completely. But God, do you know him? Do you have experienced him? Because whenever you look at that circle of transformation, of how God is calling us and choosing us and how God is, is moving in our life to change our life. And then you see, how does God use our life? I want to focus on that today. And we're going to see, we're going to see the scope. We're going to, we're going to see the sequence. We're, we're, we're going to see the sustainability of how God is going to move in our life and use us in life. Now, just sit in that for a moment that God actually, in all of his creation, and he can make anything perfect in a, in, in, in the words of his breath. He chooses the broken, you and me, He chooses the broken to be a part of his plan. Because I would have scrapped us a long time ago, to be honest with you. I would have scrapped Mike McDaniel. I'll just throw myself out there. I would have given up, moved on, put me on a shelf, forget. But God, actually, whenever I am in this process of in a relationship with him and he's changing me, he actually is trying to change me so that he can use me. We've looked at Mark chapter 1, and we saw how God has an envision for his disciples, his calling, those he's called to follow him. Follow me and I will make you what? Fishers of men. Here's an envision that he has for those who follow him. He's actually wanting you to, 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 to work in your life in an incredible way. In, in Mark chapter 3, verse 14, he says it like this. And he appointed 12 who named to be apostles so that they might be with him. Hang out with me. Follow me. For three years, you're going to eat with me, talk with me, sleep with me. We're going to do life together. This is going to be our small group, and we are going to journey through this life together. Be with me, but it wasn't the be with me end all. It was the be with me so I can send you out. God had an envision. God not only wanted to choose them to be with him, to change them, but he also wanted to use them in his grand scheme. Now, I promise you, if you don't have a sense of purpose and direction in your life, just becoming a follower of Jesus, that move alone, just answering the call of Jesus and saying, yes, Jesus, I'm answering your call on my life, that alone gives you purpose in life. You might make your living from Walmart or from a teacher or from, you might make your living, but you will make a life by following Jesus. You will make an impact by following Jesus and letting him do in you what he can only he can do. Be with is that becoming fully obedient, that transformation, that calling, and then sending out. It's that multiplier effect. He's calling us to send us. Take your Bibles and let's look at Matthew chapter 28. Now, again, I want to point out that we started the series in Mark chapter 1, the first chapter of Mark's gospel, We're going to go to the very end of Matthew 28. Don't miss the timeline on that. This is after Jesus' teachings, after Jesus' miracles, after Jesus' life, after Jesus' suffering, after Jesus' cross, after Jesus' death, after Jesus' resurrection. This is literally the final 40 days of his time on the earth before he ascends into heaven. So timeline that out, and you're seeing that Jesus has cast his vision in the beginning, and now he's worked in their life, changing their life, and now he's sending them out. 
He's with this group of people, and are they all, they've been in the discipleship group with Jesus. I mean, they should have it all figured out, right? They should have it all buttoned up. It says, and the, the 11 disciples went to the Galilee. Why 11? I thought there was 12. Judas hung himself. Even Jesus lose, lost a disciple in the, in the mix to the mountain. Jesus always climbing mountains. He came Mount, Mount Transfiguration. He takes up his disciples. He, he climbs another mountain here. Whenever in the Sermon on the Mount, he's always climbing mountains to disciple his, his followers into which Jesus had directed them. And, and when he saw that they worshipped him, some worshipped him, some saw and they worshipped him, but some doubted. Can you imagine? Jesus has died, been buried, rose again. You can see the scars in his hand. And there's still doubters. The resurrected Jesus is standing in front of you and you're still doubting? That's the reality of humankind is that we are skeptical even when the obvious is in front of us sometimes. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth, as, as, and then as Justin read, read on, I want us to, to look at this and understand that the purpose of our life ties to the mission of God. My purpose is tied to the mission of God. Disciples go make disciples. Disciples go make disciples that become multipliers. That's a part of God's plan. And we cannot deviate from that. And I want us to see three realities in this whole discipleship, again, scope and sequence and, 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 and sustainability of this whole calling of God on our life. And one is I want us to see the movement of God, that God is calling us to something bigger than ourselves. He's calling us to what? He's calling us to go. That means movement. That means moving out. This one word in the Greek is used 152 times. It's usually meant for Jesus' traveling and he's going up and down the seashore. It's, it's, it's meant to use when he was going from Galilee down to Jerusalem or out to Jericho. It's used for people as their movement. The, the idea of going means to go, to travel, to go somewhere. See, Jesus, the, the grass didn't grow underneath Jesus' feet. He was constantly moving. He was constantly going to Samaria. He was constantly going from village to the boat to the other side of the, of the water. Ongoing going is what Jesus was about. And now he's turning to his disciples, of which he told them not to go for a long time. Now he's telling them to go. He's sending them out. And he says this in John chapter 20, verse 21, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. As the Father sent me, I'm sending you into this world. This is a very important concept that we put around Grace Point Church. That as a follower, following Jesus, we do what Jesus did. And Jesus was a sender. Jesus was a goer. He was a goer himself. Now he is sending us. So now we must go out into this world. And we must bring people in. That's why we say around here every single Sunday, we talk about the values of Grace Point and who we are as a church. This is not just some cute statement that we say, no, God, love people, live sent. It might look good on banners, but what I really pray is it's in our hearts. 
is that I know God so well, so much that God is not only, he initiates, he calls, he does his work inside of me, he's changing me, he's reprioritizing my life so that he might send me out, so that I might go. But it's not, when you're understanding this, the scope of our mission is to go to the nation. The scope, how big, how far am I supposed to go? Uh, am I just across the street? Absolutely, but don't stop it across the street. Am I supposed to go into the poor areas of our community? Yes. The, are we supposed to go into the areas, maybe apartment complexes where people don't know Jesus? Yes, You're, but it's not only that. It is going to the ends of the earth, to the nations. There's 195 nations in the world, according to the UN. 193 are a part of the UN. But he's not talking about the 195 or 193. He's talking about the 11,994 different people groups that make up this earth. And why do I say that? It's because the, the Greek word here is panta uh, ethne. Pontanta ethne, and the word ethne is where we get the ethnic group from. The idea is that it's not a geopolitical boundaries, this country. He's talking about people groups. He's talking about well beyond just uh, our our shores and and where we are at. Whenever you look across the nations, and again, I don't have time to go into all these numbers, so just understand that there are 11,994 ethnic groups out there. And let me just say this, that of them, seven or 4.7 billion of them do not know Jesus, do not have enough access to the gospel to know Jesus, and some of them don't even have a missionary or a Bible in their name, don't have anybody to give them the gospel. Listen, we must have a readiness about us, we must have the gospel about us, and we must be ready to go, not only go, but go to the nations. It needs to be who we are. There needs to be a rapid responsiveness. If you don't have a passport, Henry Blackaby says, if you don't have a passport, then do you really believe in the Great Commission? Because I need to have a readiness about me. Okay, 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 I'm, I'm, not, I'm not a traveler. I'm not comfortable on planes, long distances. Uh, okay, then let's, let's take that and let's put that aside. Okay, let's take that excuse, if you will, and it may be a legitimate excuse. I'm gonna give you the benefit of the doubt and let's put that over there. Let's talk then about the, the million international students who come to our universities, the 1,095,299 students that are enrolled in our universities. And if you let's just go down to the University of Arkansas and let's just talk about the 1,200 of them that are at the University of Arkansas this year. And let's just talk about those international students. What, what would it mean if I just became global in my local living? And I just literally put on the lenses of what about my world that is out there in front of me? You realize that 70% of these international students, many of them from nations that don't have access to the gospel, don't have missionaries, it's illegal to be a Christian or something along those lines, 70% of them will attend the universities and never be invited into the home of an American. And 85% of them will never be invited to a church. Listen, you may not be able to get on a plane today because you got kids, because you got work, because you got, then how about just load up and go to the university? How about build relationship with international students? I love it that we have people in our church that are working with refugees. 
families, small groups that are doing beautiful work with refugees, Afghanistan refugees. We have, we have a group that is literally just forming right now that, that, is, that is ministering to the refugees and, and, and doing some incredible work. A family of five kids Sky, is that right? Sky and, and Logan here are part of that group of people that are going to be working with refugees and five kids from Afghanistan. We have another family that's been here for one year and they've called because our, because our church family has loved on them so much. And by, by the way, these are Muslim believers. Okay, these are Muslims, practicing Muslims. And we're just loving on them, inviting into our homes and, and seeing how we can love on them. And it's funny, they said this past week in a text message that they feel at home because we have embraced them and made them to feel at home. What if we just lived internationally right here in our own backyards? We have a family in our church, I don't know where you're sitting, uh, from Ukraine, right here, right in the middle. And they're going to be out in the gallery later on. They're Bible translators, and they're going to be out there hanging out with me. But they, they had to flee Ukraine because of the, the war that's going on. They're planning on going back and taking gospel back with them. So just think about it. What if I were to take on a different set of lenses and lived and gone right where I'm at? The scope of our work is a movement bigger than ourselves. It's also a mission of God. The mission of God is that you're a disciple who makes disciples. 178 days teachers just signed up for this past week. Teachers, you have 173. Uh, Every teacher I've talked to, maybe one, said that they were excited about this past week. The rest of them are, excuse me, only one said they were excited about after this past week, about the rest of the days. You think about, you think about education and, and I can appreciate that because Lori had a degree in education. I remember a scope and sequence concept that she talked about whenever our kids were, uh, being, being taught and so forth and learning about that and how important it is that if you've got a third grader right now, they're probably going to be learning the multiplication tables. And that's really important because they're going to need to know that before they get to junior high and high school to learn algebra. And they're really going to have to have it because if they go to college, they're going to have to have college algebra, but they can't have college algebra until they have high school algebra until they have their multiplication tables down, but they can't have their multiplication tables down until they understand what one plus one is. And they're going to get that in first or second grade, but they're not going even know what one plus one is until they know what one and two and three are, and they're going to get that at home before they ever make it to school. There is a scope and a sequence that happens. There's a scope and a sequence to what it means to be a part of the movement of God and what he's calling us as multipliers to do. The sequence of his mission is to make disciples. We enter into people's lives. It's an invitation to follow Jesus and we make disciples. Verse 19 calls us to that, to go and make disciples of all nations. This past two Sunday, past two Sundays, we've had people who've taken the challenge to meet me in the gallery. I walk off this stage. I'm going to give the invitation right here, right now. In a moment, I'm going to pray. I'm going to walk off this stage. And if you're interested in what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, you're tired of being an imposter. You're tired of being an identifier. You're ready to be a legitimate imitator of Jesus Christ and to walk in fellowship and obedience to him. Then follow me as I follow Jesus. Exactly what Paul said. I will get with you. We'll have other people get with you. But here I want to say in Hebrews 4, 7 says, Today when you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. If God is calling you today, don't harden your hearts. Don't kick it back. Don't hit ignore on that dial. 
Number two, we're, after we make disciples, after we see believers become to faith in Christ, we baptize them. This gives us a sense of identity. We're baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and in the Holy Spirit. We're called to do that. And baptism doesn't, you don't do that for someone. Uh, hey, guys and gals, uh, friends across the street, we're going to be having a seminar here in a couple of weeks. They actually believe that you baptize for someone. You don't baptize for anybody. That's a personal confession. My parents can't even decide, hey, it's time for my child to be baptized. That's not the role of the parent. The parent is to train them up, hopefully point them in the right direction. They make a decision to follow Jesus, and then they identify. Baptism says this, I am a child of the Father. I'm a follower of Jesus, and the Holy Spirit lives in me baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Our next baptism will be in a few weeks. I invite you, if you've never declared your faith and you're a follower of Jesus, maybe you got it out of order, you, you got baptized as a kid, but then you never made your decision until you're an adult, and now you're making your decision, I encourage you to declare that faith and baptism. It is a part of your identifying with Christ. It is that important the church for centuries have called it one of the ordinances of the church. It's that important. It's a part of our identification. Again, scope, now we're dealing with sequence. First, I become a disciple. Then I identify as a believer of Jesus, as a follower of Jesus through baptism. And then I move to the next, and that is to teaching to observe all that I've commanded you. Now, this is a lifetime journey. And for the rest of your life, you're going to be in a teaching, learning posture of learning and growing and teaching others. We have 194 positions in our church week to week of teaching, making disciple positions in our church. It's very important that we understand that I, how am I a part of the 194 of helping a, 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 a child, maybe it's just a, a two-year-old, understand that God loved you, God made you. Maybe it's a, it's, a, it's a teenager realizing that they're going to be making big decisions in your life about morals, about identity. And what if we were to lead them through, the, through teaching them to observe all that I've commanded? See, Jesus isn't just about making us smarter. He's about making us more obedient. Leonard Sweet said this, Jesus expected those who professed to produce. We are called to be Disciple makers. Second Timothy chapter two. I said this a few weeks ago. It's important to see it again. It's the two 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 principle. What you have heard from me, in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men, who will be able to teach others. Four generations in one verse. Paul tells Timothy. Timothy tells faithful people. Faithful people will turn and trust it to others. And that word trust is deposit a valuable deposit into people's lives. Every single one of us that answers the call of God understands that they're a part of a scope that's global. Sequence of making disciples who identify with Jesus, who train up in a walk with Christ, and what does that look like every day of my life? Walking in step with Him. And none of us are without excuse on that. I want you to meet Leslie Logan if you don't already know her. 
and hear her story of how she has been, not just her telling her story, other people telling the story about how Leslie has poured into her, into their life. Watch the story. We have this idea of what we think discipleship is, and none of us, I mean, I don't feel mature enough in my faith or responsible enough to take that on. But if you think about what true discipleship is, I think I've said it before, discipleship is like friendship and being intentional and weaving Jesus in and out of this life and doing life with someone. And I think we have to strip away all the formalities of discipleship and, you know, we're not preaching at each other, right? We're really just doing life with each other, with Jesus at the front. And I think that once you look at discipleship that way, you start to see how you are discipling others and how others have discipled and poured into you. My relationship with Amber started uh, when she and her husband joined our couple's small group. And, um, you know, just really getting to know her and trying to be there for her, pray for her, and really just taking some of the things that Leslie modeled for me and instilling that in my relationship with Amber. I first met Leslie on a trip to Cambodia and uh, oddly enough, we worked right across the street from each other at the time. And um, so yeah, we went halfway across the world and of course we met during um, the trainings before we went, um, but really that trip established our relationship. Leslie and I would go for walks around the lake in our office park and just have everyday conversations. We were able to share with one another, you know, things that um, maybe I had issues when my kids were little and, and with Kendall maybe having some things in school that she was able to talk to me about and we were just able to share what God had given us through those issues and those problems and, and that's always to me a part of discipleship where you come alongside and help them to see what God's purpose might be in our everyday situations. Mm-hmm. And for Leslie to be obedient in that is so huge. Like, I don't want to let that go unnoticed either because she could have easily just been like, meh, but she didn't. She, she desired to see the Holy Spirit grow in me too. Leslie is so faithful in prayer. And I know if I ask Leslie to pray for me, she's going to pray for me. Um, right before I went on a second mission trip, I was taking my daughter and I was a little nervous about it and we went for our walk around the lake and she brought me inside this very chapel and we prayed together and I would say that none of us have it figured out and that... Uh, we're all still growing and challenging each other. It makes us better. And it, it doesn't, there's not a perfect picture of what this looks like. It's just being in a relationship with someone intentionally and consistently. I think also just showing up 
You don't have to show up perfectly. You don't have to show up, um, you know, with all the answers. You just have to show up and let God do the rest. Um, so many times I think, you know, we don't know what to say. Well, it's not our, you know, like you said, it's not our story. It's God's story. And, you know, how is he going to use us in those moments with people? And just let it, let it happen organically and let God do what he needs to do through you for that other person. That's what I've seen in both of these ladies in their um, listening to the Holy Spirit or just showing up and being a part. And then suddenly you see that God connection. You see that connection of why he brought you to that point or why you showed up when you showed up intentionally. Then God brought the, you know, the rest of the story to that um, obedience there. Mm-hmm. And when you're in the thick of it, I don't think you know. You, you can't see it sometimes. So you need people that you trust, those accountability partners, those you know people who are going to lead you to those scriptures because maybe everything's just so messy for you right now. Um, and I think that's what being you know a disciple to someone is sometimes is you know I'll text Melanie, this is what I'm going through. You know, what do you think or what do I do next? And she'll say, God is putting this verse on my heart, and let's pray about this. And you know that for me is really valuable. There's a couple of phrases in there that I want you to pick up on. Intentionality. That you don't, this doesn't just happen because you just whimsically happen, organically happen. You have to consciously put it in your mind. Am I going to take what faith is in me? Am I going to pass it down to the next generation, whomever? Because what's not told in this is that Leslie's not a pastor. She is a office manager. She manages a block of offices. She's got a full-time job with a full plate with kids and grandkids. And so she is literally just taking her faith and living it out into other people, intentionally doing that. I also want you to hear messy. So sometimes it's, it's, it doesn't always have a, a program to it. Sometimes it is just literally doing the life messiness together with each other. But I also want you to notice that they talked about prayer and talked about Scripture guiding them through, that, through those messinesses of life. And that's the beautiful thing about what it means to be a disciple who makes a disciple. Is I'm just going to walk with you through the scriptures, teaching us all to observe everything that Jesus told us to do. So let scripture, let Jesus be our model, become that imitator so that you can say, as Paul said, be an imitator of me as I am of Christ. What doesn't is not also shared is how she also does, did the same thing with Stacy Cochran, who ended up doing the same thing with, uh, with Lauren Bedeen, and how for 14 years she's still teaching in the preschool department. Your kids have been taught by Leslie Logan, who's just literally taking what it means to be a disciple. But it doesn't just seeing the scope and the sequence. It's also seeing the sustainability of how does this happen how do we really do this? How do we? It's the promise of God. It's in the promise of God. If you look at Matthew 28, and I want you to see this in the context of the scriptures. Whenever you see it, verse 18, it says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority. It happens through his authority given, spoken over us, his authority at work in us. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. And then Jesus turns around and he commissions us out. But then you go down, and it says this, Behold, I am with you always. It is the authority 
and it is the presence of Jesus in your life that it enables you to sustain a life of being a disciple maker. You have the authority given to you by Jesus. You have the sustainability of him being with you throughout life. And lo, behold, I am with you always. I am with you always. Man, I'm, I'm overwhelmed by the thought. I'm, I'm having a hard time just putting my arms around being my own disciple, let alone discipling others, being a multiplier. God always puts us in situations greater than ourselves. Always puts us in great situations greater than ourselves. Abram was called to father, give birth to a nation. But then God waited 25 years before he gave him a child. Put him in impossible circumstances because he was in his 90s when that child was born. Moses was called to lead the people of Israel out of Egyptian bondage, but yet he gave him a bunch of complainers in the Israelites. And he, he put him in a situation to where it was impossible because the biggest army in the world was on nipping at their heels ready to kill them or bring them back into slavery. Impossible circumstances to lead them into the promised land. Gideon had 32,000 troops. And God said, I want you to reduce your troops down 99% to where you only have 300. And then I want you to go to war against the Midianites. And I want you to get your freedom back. Put them in impossible circumstances. You can look at Esther and Ruth and David and Nehemiah and Jeremiah. And it's like impossible. How can this happen? Because of his authority, because of his presence, because of his authority, because of his presence. How can you be a disciple maker? Because of his authority and because of his presence. Because then Jesus goes through all of his 33 years on this earth and three years with his disciples and he's sending them out and he says, hey, because of my authority, I'm sending you. And behold, I'm with you always. I'm with you always. Do you have that intimate, personal relationship with Jesus that you can say, he is with me. He is guiding me. It starts when you answer the Jesus calling, his call to be a disciple. And then you start a journey. You start a journey that for the rest of your life, you're going to be living in. This calling, this choosing, this changing, this using. This this calling, this choosing, this changing, this using. You're going to be finding that God is going to continue to move you through that. And it's going to be constant, impossible, impossible. But it's his authority and it's his presence that's going to get you there. Would you bow your heads with me? you could just look inside and start with the question, am I an imitator or an imitation? Am I an imposter or an identifier? Or am I truly looking more and more like Jesus in my life? I'm going to pray and the invitation is still out there. If you sense today that God is calling you to follow him, do not put it off. Do not, as Hebrews says, harden your heart. Today, yes, answer the call. Or maybe today you've answered the call. You're trying to become and you're trying to be fully obedient, but you're not quite ready to disciple us. You got to get your junk figured out first. Bring your junk 
to the discipleship relationship. Bring your mess and figure it out together with others. In the gospel, as God speaks and God's present in your relationship. Father, thank you for choosing me. Thank you for changing me. Thank you for wanting to use me. God, I want to be used by you. I don't want to just occupy space and time to just consume from this world. I want to be used by you. And Father, I have to believe in this room that there's half of this room, I would pray that half of this room would have the passion and the desire to say, yes, God, use me. And what is the highest good that I can be used for, God? To make disciples, to help them identify with you, Jesus, for the rest of their life and to walk with you every day of their life, teaching them to observe all that you've commanded us. God, may we be a church of disciples who make disciples a part of your great mission, both here and around the world. Lord, call us now and help us to hear your call and to say yes. In this space, speak to us. In Jesus' name. Would you stand and respond appropriately? Thanks for listening to the Grace Point Church podcast. To stay up to date on all things GPC, follow us at Grace Point NWA on Facebook or Instagram. As you go, be people who show and share Jesus in everyday conversations with everyday people. Live sent.